doesn't love hide and seek where you go and you find the best hiding place. I know when my grandkids play it in our house, I'm hearing things fall off the shelves in the closet and everywhere else, but trying to pretend I don't know which closet they're in, even though you're hearing the crashing. I know here on Monday nights, the small group under 40s and you guys are just having a great time of, of, of bonding together tomorrow night. You'll finish up your guardrails, then go right into irresistible. But nine kids that come, they love to play, they love to play hide and seek over there in that area. And we hear them hiding and, and, and yet they're quiet. There's a quiet time, complete silence. And you know that somebody's trying to find somebody. And then the little two-year-old will say, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here, right? How many of you feel like sometimes that's you with God? I'm over here. I'm over here. I think God's favorite game is hide and seek. How many of you? You know, you feel like he's hiding on us or we're hidden from him. And yet all the while he knows right where we are. He knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. And yet we're like the two-year-old yelling, I'm over here, and then it gets louder and louder and louder until, and then the kids find them, and they jump out like total surprise and all excited. That's kind of how we are with God when we feel like he finally finds us and where we're at. Here I am, when he knew all along that we needed a way maker, that we needed somebody to make a way for us. That's probably how the children of Israel felt when they're with Moses and they've just escaped the bondage in Egypt and under the rule of Pharaoh and they've escaped and God has let his people go except that. God didn't, scripture tells us as we studied last week, God didn't lead them down the main road. He led them in a roundabout, not the shortest route, a completely different way to the shores of the Red Sea. How many of you, when you get there, you're thinking, um, I'm right here, God. I'm right here. We thought you led us and we're at the Red Sea. Never in a million years would my mind have thought that God was going to part that sea. Would you have guessed that? If you were standing at the shores that God was going to part the sea and that's how he would make a way? Never. <clears throat> but he's the way maker. The miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's our God. That's who he is. Last week we studied the four steps that the children of Israel learned and that we need to learn if we're going to seek after the way maker. First, we have to let God lead us. It's not going to be down the main route. There's going to be shortcuts. There's going to be gravel roads. There's going to be turnabouts and roundabouts and all different abouts. <laughs> but let God lead. Secondly, we've got to lean into our faith and really believe that God's going to make a way when you're standing at the Red Sea of your life that God can even part the sea and make a way. That we've got to learn to walk in obedience as Pastor Josh and Kristen think they are. <laughs> I'm still working through it. You know, journey, we pride ourselves on authenticity around here and honesty. And I'm just telling you, they think... I'm still <clears throat> iffy. All right, no, I'm really not. I face it. When you walk in obedience, it requires sacrifice, requires laying things down that you never wanted to lay down. 
But interestingly enough, after they got to the other side, they lifted their praise. Let's look at that verse again in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, as they lift their praise to the Lord on the other side of the Red Sea, on the other side where, the, where God has made a way. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yeah, it's easy to praise God when you're on the other side of the miracle. It's harder to praise God on the other side of the Red Sea. It's easy once he's made the way. And you get to the other side. And we do look back, and in a lot of our praise songs, we're praising the Lord because we look back and we see his faithfulness, and then that helps us to look ahead and know that he'll be faithful. But that's the hard part. Singing the praise when you don't yet have the answer. When you're still hiding, yelling, I'm right over here. I'm here. Am I hot? Am I cold? God, you're getting colder. Come on, hot. It's easy to sing. It's much harder to say, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to see a victory. Do you need a, maker, a way maker? Here's what you need then. We need God encounters. We need a God encounter. God is, is expected and wants us to experience him, to have an experiential experience with him. You can come to the Journey Church and we want you to experience God. We want you to have hope and healing for your journey. We want you to know that there's a God of hope and there's a God of healing and along your journey, we want to walk with you. We want you to discover truth. We want you to develop relationships. We want to demonstrate compassion. That is our mission here at the Journey Church. We want to do all that, but friends, there is nothing like it when you personally encounter a God experience. When you personally have experience that you know that you know that you know that you as the created have connected with the creator. When you know the one who created you has connected with you because you have allowed it. And throughout scripture, throughout, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God encounters all along the way. But there's a common denominator. There was a role the people had to play. There was a role the people played in that encounter, in allowing God, in submitting. What does that look like? Even in Jeremiah, God says, when you seek me and find me, when you search for me, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. God wants us and is calling us today to play hide and seek. And sometimes it might be that we feel he's the one who's hiding and we're on the journey. He calls us to seek after him, to search after him, to find him. And nothing touches the heart of God. Today I want to focus on he makes a way when we begin to worship. When we worship. 
There is power in worship. And I am not surprised that this morning the worship team felt they struggled and were in combat because the enemy knew that we were going to be studying today about the power in worship. When we join our hearts and our voices together as a body and individually in your home, in your car, wherever you are, when you begin to worship, God will make a way because he inhabits the praises of his people. It brings him right close to us. Nothing gets God's attention more than us praising him for who he is and for what he's done and for what he's going to do. There is a part of me, and it's a growing part, that is so excited for Journey's future. So excited for what God has for us as a body for the future. For the lives that will be touched, the, the, the building that's going on around in the New Lenox area, for the people that need the hope and the healing that you and I know we have, that's found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the risen Lord and Savior, who wants to have a God encounter. And I want us to look at that today, at what it looks like for worship. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 23, it says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, now, now that tells me there might be some false, that just because we come and raise our hands doesn't mean it's a true worshiper. That just because we bow our knees or we act like it, we can play church. We can play worship. True worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. If you have not read my book about my miraculous healing, I was healed during a worship service. There was no healing evangelist, although we believe in that. Scripture says it. There was not the anointing time where we're anointed with oil and the, the elders and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I was sitting there in the pew while the people worshiped God. It became electric from my fingertips to my toes and I couldn't contain the energy running and running and running and running all because there was true worship seeking God and his power fell upon us. It's the truth, friends. That is true worship. I want to teach you something about the Greek word for spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It's a current of air to breathe or, to, or a breeze. To breathe in or a breeze. Because here's what happens. As we live on this planet Earth, we all develop pneumonia in the spirit. In our spirit. We develop Pneumonia. Pneumonia is that infection that causes the inflammation in the air sacs of the lungs, where you can't get a deep breath, where you need an inhaler, where you need help breathing. God is calling us to worship him in the spirit, in the pneuma, 
meaning allow his spirit to penetrate us so that it's deep breath flowing from us, flowing from our inner being, where it's fresh air, where it's a breath of fresh air, where you can breathe deep. If you have compromised lungs, you know what that is. My lungs are compromised from my chemo treatment unless the Lord heals me for the rest of my life. And I can feel the difference, even in preaching now, where the lungs can't get the depth of the breath enough because of the scar tissue and the damage done. But I thank the Lord that, I, that I'm living. I mean, we are on six years now, and they said I wouldn't make it five. So there you go. God is God, and he is the final report. But when you can breathe that deep breath, the pneuma of the spirit. You have no breathing problems, but you're full of the breath of God with motion and movement that wants to praise him with your voice. We will have a God encounter because true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit with a breath, with a flow, with movement. And the Father seeks people like that. The Father seeks people that will worship like that, that will worship with full breath. God's attracted to those who are running hard after him. Those who are running after him, he runs too. Not just trying out God. I don't want you to try him out for a 30, 60, 90 day trial. You can try it if you're seeking him, and then we know after 90 days you're going to want another 90 and another 90 and another. But God wants an encounter with you that will last a lifetime, not just a trial run, not just to see who he is. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. Proskuneo means to kiss. Now, we don't really get a good translation because for most Greek words, there are four English words. So we use the word worship, but do we really know what it means? I want to explain it to you today. What real worship looks like, what proskuneo looks like to kiss. It's not just that. I think a better word picture than a kiss, or in the Greek dictionary, you would find it to kiss the hand of your superior. I, I like this. I like this word picture better. It's the dog running to you, licking all over you. That's a better picture. Where the dog runs. How many dog lovers we have? All right. How many cat lovers? Cats run away. We're not talking about cats. <laughs> They run and hide and don't want to be found. So cats have no place in this message. Dogs. Dogs run to you. They love their master. They lick. They're jumping all over. We have stories of dogs that are absolutely treacherous. So our first dog we got from my aunt and uncle, Dinky. They were managing a motel. We went to visit on a summer. The kids were little, and Dinky, it was all cement. And she wasn't having a good time, and it was not good there, this little miniature mutt. 
and we brought Dinky home and the kids loved her and we absolutely loved her. The problem was when we got her home, she began itching and scratching and scratching and scratching and all of her hair is off and she's in total misery and we take her to the vet. We took her to Dr. Morandi, who has since gone to be with the Lord. And he said, I've got bad news. Dinky's allergic to grass. And she's gonna need allergy shots all the time. It's gonna be really expensive. But I know somebody who's looking for just a dog like this. We said, okay, all right, we'll let go. And then it was about that time my brother Jeff and Kelly got married and they were living up on a third floor apartment, I think, and they had Maggie, a little blonde cocker, the cutest thing in the world. And they realized getting from that third floor as newlyweds with a dog, they couldn't handle this little cocker who was so adorable, Maggie. We absolutely loved her. They asked us, did we want to keep her? Yes, we do. And the kids loved her. We had a wonderful time. When we walked in the door, Maggie would come running. And you know, cockers leak too a little bit when they're excited. So we had Maggie come outside first every time to greet us. And she would jump up and lick us and lick us and want to lick him. No face, no face, Maggie. No face licking. I'm not about that. Dog lovers, I know some of you, yeah, lick that face. But Maggie was a tragic story because when we went to a music conference in California, our youth pastors, Todd and Dee Anderson, and when they listen to the podcast, they'll hear their names still mentioned to this day. Sad story, actually tragic. They went to church on a Wednesday night and they put Maggie in her kennel and she had her her collar on. And when they got home, she had tried and tried and tried to get out and had hung herself in in the kennel. So Pastor Todd called Joel that night and we happened to be in the middle of an earthquake in California. True story. And Joel and Kristen were upstairs on the fifth floor. We were down in the basement at the banquet room. Pastor Todd calls the room and he tells Joel, Joel, I've got really bad news. I can hardly talk to you. Maggie hung and, and, and Joel says, and I can't talk to you because we're in the middle of an earthquake. Well, if you know Joel, he's like, yeah, right, Joel. There's no earthquake. He said, no, I got to go. I got to go. And the water splashed. And it was our first experience because, you know, when you, it's a tornado, you run under and you hide. An earthquake, everybody runs outside and gets away from the building before it collapses. And we don't know what we're doing. So we come home. And it was devastating, it was, because Maggie ran to us and loved and would lick and couldn't hardly wait to see us. She was man's best friend. She, her personality and her love, well, one of our friends bought us another cocker. It was a red cocker named Randy to replace Maggie. The problem is the family that Randy was with, are you getting bored with my story or you're okay with this story? <laughs> you know, I do not know how to make a... Uh, a short story. I don't do short stories. Every short story is a long story. I can't even say short story, <laughs> let alone tell a short story. The problem with Randy was that the home that Randy was in, the red male cocker versus the darling blonde little girl female cocker, was that the three girls at the home that he lived in were deathly allergic asthma, couldn't breathe, hospitalized, all kinds of things. So the father, loving the dog and wanting the girls to have a dog, bathed that dog every day and brushed its teeth every day. 
So the dog in turn, that's like torture to a dog to be bathed that much with teeth brushed. So every time poor Pastor Doug walked in the door, that dog ran with his tail between his legs and hid, and you couldn't find him forever. Doug says, I can't even freely walk in my own house without the whole dog, the dog not wanting me anywhere around and crying, crying, crying. We tried to keep Randy for a couple years, and it got to the place where it was Randy or Pastor Doug. Well, <laughs> we thought about it for about 48 hours. We thought, he's the bread, okay, he's the breadwinner. We'll just have to stick with Pastor Doug. But anyway. <laughs> difference. I'm teasing, Jeff. Di- <laughs> For anybody new, I'm teasing. I love to tease and love laughter. But the seriousness of the gospel is that God wants us to be a Maggie dog that runs to the owner, that runs to the master, that can't wait to be in his presence to see him, to lick and lick and lick even if it's the face. That is what proskuneo in worship means, that we are running to the master, that we can't hardly wait to express our love. Opposite from Randy, running away and hiding, not wanting to see the master of the house. Maggie running and wanting to express the love. That is true worship. I will never apologize at the Journey Church for passionate worship. Never. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Because God calls us to be passionate, expressive worshipers. Prakaneo worshipers that run, that kiss the hand of the superior. Or a better vision for us is licking the master like a dog that can't get enough. And in those times, we have God encounters. When we get into problems and difficulties, we will have God encounters when we as true worshipers in our spirit, when you go and you cheer on your team, do you sit there and say, yay, yay, go team? No, you scream so the next day you have a hoarse voice because you have worked so hard, which is what our worship team does for us every single week, leading us in worship. And those playing, they give and give and give so that we can enter into true worship with deep breath and enthusiasm and excitement and expression. Paul and Silas found themselves needing a waymaker. They had been telling people all about Christ. And there was this woman who actually was trafficked. She was actually not in the way we're thinking, but in fortune telling. And it says that her master made boatloads of money off of her as she told fortunes. And demon possession was a part of her and they made gobs of money. She's following Paul and Silas. She's chasing after him everywhere. And they're ignoring her because she's just, you know, begging and begging and, de- and, and evil demon possession. And they thought she was a distraction. And she's yelling, okay, tell me, how do I get saved? And they finally turn around 
and cast the demons out of her and that spirit of evil out of her. And she's filled with the spirit of God and she leaves that life and now her master is furious because he just lost money. Which friends, one of our young girls from Guatemala City was beaten to a pulp and in the hospital they sent me a picture. Her pimp had come and gotten hold of her because he's so angry with the money that he lost from her. Same difference in scripture. This master lost the money from her fortune telling. And so he says, they're, they're preaching evil customs to us Romans. We don't believe in that. We've got to arrest them. And we read about it in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 32. They're taken in to prison. Now, Paul and Silas are in prison for setting the captives free in the name of Jesus Christ, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, for bringing deliverance to a woman in need. And they're in prison, and it's after midnight. And Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought him out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. You see, when you have an encounter with God, you will affect everyone around you. They will know that you have encountered the creator. They will know there's something different about you. They will know there's a peace in the middle of trauma. They will know that you have hope, though facing a stage four cancer diagnosis. They will know you have a calm during the, during the virus spreading across our country because we're in God's hands. We are God's people. And what ever comes our way, he will make a way. I'm sure and Paul and Silas were wrestling among them in themselves, you know, discouraged. What are we doing here? What did they decide to do? They decided to worship. Because brokenness always precedes a breakthrough. When we come to the end of ourselves, God is there. That's what he loves. He loves broken people. He came to set the captives free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. I'm sure they struggled with their identity. Who are we? We thought we were, we were God's servants. We're thrown in to prison. What's my identity? My identity is not who they say I am. My identity, who is God, who says I am, and I'm going to worship him in spite of it. I'm going to lift my voice in the middle of the darkness, 
in the middle of the, the tor torture, I am going to lift my praise and see God change lives. I'm going to praise him in spite of where I'm at. I'm going to lift my praise. I'm going to I worship him with full lungs and running to him as if I am licking at his feet all over, bowing at his feet because he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of all worship. Run to him. Run to him as the worship team comes up to end us in the song. And worship team, I'm going to ask that you would begin with that bridge, mountains. You move the mountains. 150 psalms. Yep, 150 psalms. <laughs> and that last 150 psalm, the very last verse of those psalms says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath.